Well, as you may have surmised, we are starting a brand new sermon series this morning called Family Matters. How many of you ever remember watching the TGIF block of TV shows on ABC, kind of late 80s, early 90s? There were like three different runs through that, a lot of different shows that maybe are familiar to you, like Full House. Have you heard of Full House? Okay, Full House, Boy Meets World, Step by Step, all all kinds of things. Maybe you watched some of those, maybe you didn't. But if you lived during that time period at all, late 80s, early 90s, you would have had to have been kind of living under a rock, I think, to not hear the TV show Family Matters. You guys familiar with Family Matters? You've seen that? Okay, a few of us, well, maybe we're just not ready to raise our hands or something like that. We've seen, we've seen Family Matters, may, maybe not. But many of you, though, even if you've seen the TV show, may not know the story behind it, or the story behind the story and how the TV show came about. It's about a man who went into witness protection. Uh, I got a picture of him up here. He went to witness protection after fighting off terrorists, only to then later be terrorized by his neighbor. So I don't, I don't know if you, you knew that connection. Now, if you haven't seen Die Hard or Family Matters, you're not going to get that. But I'm cool with it because I really enjoyed making that joke. I, I, that's, I, I, I appreciate that. You can share that with your friends. Two unrelated things, you know, same actor, though. Family Matters, is, it's more this. And so it's, it's a, a show about, it's a classic all-American sitcom, you know, is what it is about this family uh, centered around Carl Winslow and their everyday lives with one exceptional wild card, and that's uber nerd Steve Urkel. Did I do that? You, you guys remember that? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Did you know that Steve Urkel was only supposed to be on there for one episode? Like, he was a throwaway character. In fact, they named him, the, the show producers named him after a friend of theirs, which you're not supposed to do for any regular character. And they just didn't expect him to be on there. But it elevated the TV show, and people got really into it. And here's why, here, here's why I think that is. The absurd hijinks, you know, those were all pretty, you know, entertaining, and him becoming Steve Urquell, you know, was kind of interesting, all those things that, that happened in there. But I think, um, I think what's interesting is how this ideal family, right, because the Winslows were an ideal family, you know, kind of picture perfect, even though they went through some stuff. Uh, they were made to squirm because of this awkward neighbor, and I think we enjoy that. We enjoy people, we see, you know, people that have things, oh man, they got it together. We like seeing them squirm just a little bit. Can we admit that? It's all right, we're in a church, so we can be honest. And, and I think that's what kind of ramped it up, because we know that even, even in the best family situations, not everything is perfect, right? I, I mean, it, even, even the people that we look at and think, man, they have got everything together. I'll tell you a secret, they don't. None of us, none of us do. None of our families are perfect, well, even though we see, see you know, uh, maybe examples of what the ideal is. Despite all that, though, there's this redeeming quality of the show because it always comes back to the moral of the story, right? That used to be kind of how those, those classic sitcoms would work. What's the best, wisest decision or response you can make? Put it into practice and grow along the way. And even within the name uh, itself, Family Matters, there are two truths that are identified when it comes to our families. First of all, we all have to deal with family matters. You, you know what I'm talking about? Like the stuff that we don't necessarily share with, with anybody else. That's, hey, that's a family matter. And so we don't need to discuss that in public or you don't need to go tell your friends at school, whatever that is. The things that come up along the way that are a result of what happens to people that are in our families or the choices that they make or the choices that we've made that have affected the family that are not you know, really for anybody else to, to deal with. We all have family matters that we carry around with us. And the second truth is that our family matters. 
we've all been nurtured and nature, we, we received nature and nurture from our families, but not all of us have received the same nature or nurturing from our families. And that affects us. It affects the generations that uh, precede us and proceed from us. Uh, we all have family, but we haven't all been impacted the same way. And so when we talk about mothers and fathers and sisters and brothers and so on, that can bring up joy and fondness, or sometimes it brings up pain and regret, and sometimes a mixture of both, and we carry those things into other relationships and into our own families as well. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at why our family matters, and why our family matters to us, and why our family matters to God. And just so we can be totally upfront with one another, there's two other things I want to mention to keep in mind for this series. This is going to create tension for us. Talking about family. I mean, that's how important it is, is to us. It will create tension for us because they're real things that we have to deal with in our families. It's not all, you know, cotton candy and roses and, and birthdays and, and those kinds of things. Depending on your faith journey or your life experience or your worldview, uh, when you start talking about a specific standard for what family is or what God's expectation for that standard is, some of the misconceptions or mishaps that we've had along the way create some discomfort, maybe even a feeling that it's too late to do anything about it in our families, but that's, that's never the case. We've also, culturally speaking, gotten used to thinking about what the ideal family is in a much different in a much broader way than was ever intended, so that when we compare it with how God designed it, we get uncomfortable with the disconnect, and sometimes we're unsure how to resolve those things because we don't know how our thinking has changed and why it matters, how we think about what family is. The second thing is this. There aren't many great examples of families in the Bible. Did you know that? I don't, I don't know if you knew that. If you've spent any time reading through Scripture, the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament, uh, there, uh, there are a lot of messed up families in there. You know, people that God uses, though, to accomplish his purposes. And that's what makes God's standards of family so important and so redeeming. Because it's pursuing those standards, pursuing those ideals that allowed God to use people despite of their experiences. Jesus himself grew up with a mom, yeah, but he had a stepfather, and he had a half-brothers and sisters. By the time that he was into his ministry, they thought he was crazy. And they were like, hey, we, we need to take you back home, man. You're, you're kind of going off the rails. And that was his family experience. The first family ever in the Bible started with Adam and Eve. You know, we start off with Adam choosing Eve over God. That didn't, that didn't go well for their living, uh, you know, standard. And their kids, their firstborn son and their second son, um, you know, one of them killed the other over jealousy. Right? I mean, that's the first ever family in the Bible, and those are the things that we start to see uh, that are happening. There are plenty more examples of families with a not-so-great history that we can mention and we can talk about. And so we could say, and like, look, God's got some unrealistic standards here, right? Because nobody, nobody can fulfill this. I mean, there are no perfect families. Can anyone really reach them anyway? So let's just shift our standards of normal and ideal to something that we can feel better about. The problem is we've been trying that for quite a while. It's not working at all for a culture for our society. And for followers of Jesus, this shouldn't be a shock at all because we know that for quite a long time now, our society is not moving closer to God. And so that we shouldn't expect families to be moving closer to a godly standard if we're not having him as our foundation and his ideal for us as our foundation. So we shouldn't expect societal shifts to create what God wants in our families or in our lives and our hearts and minds. Um, 
which in turn is health, what is healthy and good. I mean, that is what God wants for us, what is healthy and is good. That's not where society takes us, but that is where God takes us, and that's what he wants for us. He wants his best. And so here's the major shift when it comes to God's ideal from the perspective of a biblical ethic of the family versus a cultural one, all right? A biblical worldview of family leads to love based on self-sacrifice and interdependent commitment, a cultural worldview, and, and when I say cultural, let me speak more specifically to American culture. I'm not talking about this from a global standpoint because you travel to different uh, places in the world, they're going to have a very different idea of what family uh, looks like and how it's supposed to be made up. But a cultural worldview of family leads to love based on self-fulfillment and independent identity. If you have questions about that, we can talk about that at some point uh, later on, and we will hit on this as we continue through the series. The irony here, to me... And, and the thing that, that's unfortunate is that self-sacrifice and commitment that God calls us to within our family provides the fulfillment and independence that we need, but it doesn't work the other way around. And that's one of the biggest issues, biggest problems that we have within our families as a whole in the world that we live in. And all it takes is one person to mess up the balance for this for families to feel out of whack, which makes our experiences pretty relatable to each other because even though we might compare against each other certain degrees of, of, of how good our family is versus somebody else's, we've all experienced this and we've all done this. We've all been the person who's made our families out of whack. It's why no family is perfect, but it's also why we shouldn't give up on the godly ideal for a family because when we pursue it, it provides the opportunity for restoration and redemption for both our hearts and both the generations to come. A really important footnote here, we each have a role to play in this, and this extends much further than just our blood relatives and our personal nuclear family. We'll get to that as we continue on the series, but I just wanna, make, I just wanna help you understand, like even if you think, well, this doesn't apply to me, or this doesn't apply, you know, because I don't have this situation in my family. Well, yeah, yeah it does, because you have a ton of people in your lives. And our role to play is our role to play. We can't control other people, and so that's not what this is about. We can't manipulate other people into fulfilling what we need and what we want, but the more that we look to God for that and are becoming who he's called us to be, the more we influence our hearts and the hearts of others to him. So with that in mind, let's look at the Bible, how the Bible talks about how we should ideally be fulfilling our roles in the family. So we're going to check out Ephesians chapter 5 first. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to that because there's much more context than what we're going to read this morning. And so I want you to be able to see that and you can skim it this morning or maybe bookmark it and read it later on today or during the week do your, during your time in, in reading and studying with God. Uh, but this is, uh, this is Paul and how he gives instructions for household. And he does this more than once. But we're going to summarize the verses together this morning. So this is Ephesians chapter 5, starting with verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Husbands, don't, don't elbow anybody because your turn is coming. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. I brought you into this world, and I can take you out. Are we allowed to say that anymore? Is that, can we joke about that? Uh, okay, okay. I mean, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure. Maybe that's not exactly what God had in mind when he said that. Um, anyway, oh, verse 4, fathers don't exasperate your children. My bad. Sorry. Sorry, Nadia. 
Uh, instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, depending on, upon your background, we could come away uh, reading this with, yeah, I've heard that before, or maybe uh, that sounds pretty archaic, or that sounds pretty unrealistic. Like, we're, we're, we've evolved past that. But when Paul wrote this, following Jesus this way was revolutionary. And I would argue it still is today. I won't ask you to raise your, your hands, but when you have thought about marriage, because Paul starts off with this idea of instructions for Christian households, he said, submit to one another out of reverence in the Lord. And so for those of you that are married or, or aspire to be at some point, um, don't, don't raise, your, raise your hands, but when you've thought about marriage, um, have you ever thought about it in terms of this? I'm looking for someone I can submit to out of reverence for Christ. Like how, how, many, how many of us, just think, think internally, that was our goal when we were like, hey, I'm really interested in that person because I want to submit to them out of reverence for Christ. Like, that's what I'm really excited about in this relationship. My guess is that it's a very small percentage. Generally speaking, you know, men, we're driven by a more physical impulse. Women are more emotionally driven. And yes, I know there are exceptions here. You know, some, some relationships are economically driven and so on, and sometimes it's flip-flop. But I'm going to throw out a wild guess here that mutual submission is not on many online dating profile apps. <laughs> That's just a guess. I'm not on one, so I, I, I don't know. Uh, and and some, I, I could be wrong. And let me know if, if you've come, come across that. And, and just... As an aside, if you see that on somebody's online dating profile, I don't know that I would necessarily recommend that you swipe right or whatever you do. I don't, I don't even know what you do these days. And it wasn't like that in Jesus and Paul's day either. In the time and the culture that they lived in, you, you can look up, like, what was the family structure like in Rome? Or what was the Jewish family structure like that? And you could do some historical research. Men were the dominant force. And so when Paul writes this, this instruction for Christian household, they would read this, the teachings of Jesus and how he calls us to relate with, with one another in our marriages and our family. They said, this is totally foreign to us. This is revolutionary. This is not how the world works. Women and children were treated more like pr property. And so for Paul to write, husbands, love your wife as Christ has loved the church, Can you, that, that is a mind-blowingly higher ethic of grace and love than, than anyone had previously been expected to hold a standard to because like I said women and children they were treated more like property uh, Jewish women could be divorced and sent back to their family if they burned dinner I mean that that's like that's how 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 that kind of was and you just hadn't have any agency about like, no go back to your mom and dad it's like okay fine I have to I have to leave Roman children were often not even given a name until they reached a certain age because uh, because of the death rate and the infant mortality rate and because they weren't even sure if they wanted them and whether or not they would be viable, you know, for the family. And so a Roman father could just say, yeah, you need to abort that one because I don't want it. I mean, like that was the cultural norm at, at, at that time. In Rome, divorce wasn't even a legal proceeding. It was just a, yeah, we're done kind of thing. Right? So no difficulty whatsoever for just ending it and, it, and it's over. We're so cyclical. <laughs> this is, it, this isn't part. But, I mean, you know, we, we think we think that we've we've come like to the to this higher ethic as a, a society. And so, oh, no, all we're doing is, is circling back to where we were before, and God has tried to to lead us in a better in a better way. And so, following Jesus elevated women and children in a way that was shocking at the time. The Christian household as an ideal family it was revolutionary. And I tell you what, when people started seeing it put into practice and how it changed the lives of those who were connected to that family, 
They saw how desirable and healthy and functional this higher ethic of relating to one another in the home and valuing the life of others really is and how life-altering and changing it was for generations. Fast forward to today and some of those expectations have become assumed as commonplace or common sense in our culture. That's because Christianity has changed the world because no human civilization ever got there on their own until they were changed by Jesus and by Christian families who were living that ideal standard of what the family looks like in God's eyes. Now, many believe, like I've said, that we've evolved past these ideas that are becoming an unnecessary burden, that a nuclear family of a man and a woman becoming married for life, and then perhaps sharing it with children and their extended family, it's an unrealistic cultural norm. It's a weight that we shouldn't have to carry, mostly because we've experienced pain or seen an example or maybe lived out an example of it not working in our lives. But the pain isn't a result of the structure of the system itself of God's ideal. The pain is a result of people not living as God has called them to live. We need lifelong commitments between husband and wife, and children need the example of a godly mom and dad, and parents need children who are respectful. The fact of the matter is, it wouldn't matter what system we adopted if there's no mutual submission out of reverence for following Jesus. None of it's going to work without that. So the ideal family is built on mutual submission to one another out of our love for God. And this is not to say that it necessarily falls apart if someone isn't perfect or pulling its weight. In fact, this is why it is so important, because God picks up the slack in our lives. And, and everywhere, not, not just in our families, but in everywhere, this is what God does. He picks up the slack in, in our lives. When we look to an individual to supply everything that we need in life, whether it's our spouse or our child or our parent, etc., it's just a matter of time before we let down. We're let down, and that's the only person we're looking to. It's just a matter of time before we walk away. With mutual submission and the foundation of Jesus in our life, that burden shifts to the one who will never let us down, and that provides us the infinite supply of love, mercy, and grace that we need for our family, which means whether you're married or not married, kids, no kids, single parent, divorce, estranged, and the list goes on, we can still fulfill, fulfill the role we do have because we've been given something greater to commit ourselves to. Here are a couple other summaries that how, you know, just to show the consistency behind this message of how Jesus changes how we think about family. One from Paul and one from Peter. Colossians 3, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Listen, we're all going to fall short in these areas with our families. I mean, if you figured out how to get your children to obey you in everything, please let me know. I would like to see you after the service. May even pay you, you know, depending on how good the information is. And I'm sure at some point I've discouraged my kids, albeit unintentionally. And I'm sure, you know, I know that I've never been harsh with my wife. I mean, we've, we've never argued, right? Right? Not, not once. We've never had a disagreement, never been harsh. Okay, maybe once. 
But man, when we do get this right and we do pursue it and we, we work on continually improving and following that ideal that God has for us, it's always better for everyone. I don't know anyone who has had a less than ideal family experience who says, you know what, we should just give up because it's fine if other people experience that too. Nobody says that. He said, no, I want better for you than what I had to experience or what I had to go through. God, as our Heavenly Father, can be a hindrance for some people to want to follow him because of the experiences they've had with their fathers, because their fathers haven't been men, or they haven't been dads, or they haven't been in the picture. Moms, you know, some of us have experienced moms who have failed to nurture us. Some of us have experienced the disobedience of children and have caused ongoing pain in in our hearts for, for their parents. But God has given us a way through this so that the cycle stops with us. And that's what pursuing his ideal for the family means and looks like. It's the model of how he relates to us as his children and his family that he gives us to guide us in how we relate to other people. And he calls us to be willing to embrace an ideal that we might never live up to. Maybe it even seems like it's too late for us because that part of our life has moved on. Or maybe we just believe how things are just how it is. But God is not a God of it's just, it is just how it is. That, that is not his nature. That is not how he operates. God is a God of rescue, redemption, reconciliation, and resurrection. And that's what he calls us to pursue and live out in our families. When we embrace that as our ideal, we give our families to experience, uh, give our families a chance to experience God's ideal for us and our, our family. And so how does, how does this mutual submission work, you know, that Paul starts off with for Christian households? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How does it work? It would, it would be a bit easier to come up with a list for that other person in your family, you know, and how they need to submit. Uh, I, I, you know, we, we could do that. So let, let's talk about that other person and say, here's the list that you need to check off. And we can have that ready in case they come and ask us for, for that one day, right? We can keep that in our back pocket. Maybe you'll be ready to hand it over. Mutual submission is not about getting the other person to be what you want them to be. It comes down to this. Am I becoming the family member that God has redeemed me to be? Am I becoming the husband, the wife, the father, the mother, the sister, the brother, the aunt, the uncle, uncle the grandparent? What the list, list goes on. Am I becoming that family member that God has redeemed me to be? Because when this guides our thinking and this directs our decisions and how we interact with the other members of our family, we help to create a more ideal environment for them to do the exact same thing. Because whatever our past or present experience, God's grace provides a love that is more than sufficient for even the most broken family that has lost its way and more than sufficient for even the best family that will inevitably fall short. And that's why our families matter. And that's why our families matter to God because they have, they have the potential, they have the opportunity to lead us closer and closer to who he has called us to be. Let's pray. God, in, in moments like these, as we, as we talk about you know, topics that, that either maybe create joy for us or create uh, regret or, or whatever the emotions in between, maybe both of those at, at the same time, as we talk about real things that we deal with in our life, that, that scripture, that your word, that you give us, a way through. I'm so grateful for your Holy Spirit in these moments. Because I know that we, we can't accomplish these things on our own. 
And yet you, you indwell us with your presence, with your power, with your spirit to advocate for us, to counsel us, to help us through these moments. And so, God, I just ask, as we consider what, what this idea of submitting to one another and our families out of reverence for Christ and, and what that means for, for who we are becoming as a, as a family member in whatever our context is, that you would, you would guide us through your Holy Spirit into what that should look like. That you would give us encouragement where, where it's needed because your grace and your love is there over, ready to overflow in our lives, whatever our past experience has been, whatever our present experience is. Or God, you know, maybe, uh, maybe if, if, uh, if it's not encouragement that we need, maybe, maybe it's a little bit of, of accountability, you know, a push in our lives to see how, how our actions and our words Need to, need to shift to who you've called us to be versus how we're trying to make someone else be in our family. God, we ask for uh, a peace that passes all understanding. We, we ask for a wisdom that can only come for you to know how to navigate the, the imperfections that we are, we are inevitably going to experience as we, uh, as we live life with those who are closest to us. God, we praise you for, uh, for the overwhelming sense of, uh, of love that you provide for us, peace and rest by inviting us into your family. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name, amen.